Thank you for joining us in our Luke series, the most important story ever told. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. Looking back, last week we looked at the incarceration of John the Baptist, why he was in prison, uh, his struggle even of being incarcerated. And that last verse we looked at in Luke chapter 7 was where Jesus said, go back and tell John, blessed are those who are not offended with the way I do my business. Tell John to to stay with it. Don't become offended with who I am and how I operate. That's where we left off. And if you missed that sermon, you can go back and and listen to it online, but I think it will have great impact in your life. But Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36, we pick it up here. That a Pharisee named Simon invited Jesus over for a meal. Jesus went to Simon's house and he sat down at the table for dinner. Then a woman of the village, the town harlot, having learned that Jesus was a guest that night, she came. Let me give you an intro to where we're about to go. Jesus is invited to have dinner with a bunch of sinners that didn't think they were sinners. That's the environment that he's about to walk into. He's about to hang out with a lot of religious, self-righteous people. The word religion in its purest definition, we hear it thrown around at times, but the word religion means a return to bondage. These people were in bondage as you look at them. There's three major people that this text will focus on here. It will focus on Jesus. It will focus on this Pharisee, this religious guy by the name of Simon, and it focuses on a nameless prostitute. You may be asking now, I'm kind of new to the faith, new to uh, hanging out in kind of a God culture. What's a Pharisee? A Pharisee was a person that was very religious that The Pharisees placed more emphasis on man-made tradition than they did biblical truth. All right, so they loved the tradition of men. They loved to hang on to whatever the traditions had been passed down uh, to them. So that's what you've got going on here, okay? So Simon, a Pharisee who loved tradition, he, he, he invites Jesus over for dinner. Now, I'm always asking people questions. I'm always asking the text questions when I get into the study. So I'm like, so why did he invite Jesus over? We don't know. What was his real motive behind having Jesus as a guest? I'm like, I don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus showed up. We do know that Jesus came to this guy's house. Now, verse 37, it says that a sinful woman known as the town prostitute, she came. Now, back in those days, dinners with religious leaders were open to the public. You didn't have to be invited to attend. Anybody could just pretty much show up. But you, 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 you've got to ask, like, why would people attend this dinner as an uninvited guest And why would they show up knowing they're not going to get anything to eat? I can promise you Dustin Wilbank is not showing up if he's not going to get to eat. Okay, I can can promise you that. But why would people attend 
as a guest and sit on kind of the outskirts of where the table and conversations was happening if they were not invited and if they were not going to get to eat. Well, it was free entertainment. And you go back and study the culture. These people were poor. They were broke. They didn't have all this entertainment. They didn't have TVs and Netflix and stereos and all this. And they, they were fascinated with and enjoyed kind of observing how the rich and the powerful did life. And so they would come and they would observe the rich and the powerful. How do they live? What do they talk about? And they would listen to these conversations. And many of the dialogue and conversations that would take place would center around uh, current events regarding that which was theological as well as that which was political. So they would come and they were like, man, we got to see this. We get to hang for free. It don't cost us anything. And it was also an opportunity for the religious to showcase and parade their knowledge and wisdom in front of other people. So that's the gathering you've got. Jesus is there and no one expected this uninvited guest to show up. And if I had to title like this talk, I would title it, well, look who showed up. Look who showed up. And the truth is, even though we don't know why Simon would invite him over and why some of the other people would attend, the truth is we know why she showed up. She came to meet Jesus. She came to get in proximity of Jesus. She knew who she was. She knew what she had done. She knew how she was labeled. She was hurting. She was hopeless. She was absolutely in despair. And she came for help. She came to meet Jesus. And, and you've got to ask yourself this question. Why did you come to church today? Did you come because it's part of your routine and rhythm? Did you come because you had a mama say, every Sunday you better have your butt in church? Did you come to check a box or did you show up today anticipating meeting with Jesus? D did you walk in here today saying, I need to meet with the Lord. I need a fresh encounter with the Lord. Why'd you, why, why'd you come? Verses 37 and 38, a woman, a sinner, a harlot, she came she brought a vial of costly perfume, and she stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair and was kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. You got it? You picture the scenario? Can you imagine the humiliation that she must have felt? The stares and the looks from Simon, this entire religious community, the stares of condemnation and insult and judgment. And the more she wept, the more she felt humiliated and condemned by these people. She was being ridiculed. She was being judged. She was being looked at like, mm, look at her. The word judge means to discriminate, to, 
to condemn. It means to, to separate. When you think of the word judging others, and Jesus would talk about that in Matthew 7, do not judge lest you be judged. It means to sentence a person. It's to label. The word judge at its core is a death word. It's a death word. Being judgmental, I believe, has been the cancer of the church for years. Some of us grew up and had affiliation with church in our earlier days. And man, the harshness and the, the, the condemnation and just the, the shame that would be released from certain people that appeared to be spiritual. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, judging others makes us blind. It blinds us. Where loving others is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. When we judge, it blinds us. When we judge and condemn and slander others, it's not illuminating and freeing. If we look at the people in front of us this morning or beside us, when you look around, you go, man, they're entitled to the grace of God just as much as I am. I don't deserve anything. If anything, I deserve hell and condemnation and judgment myself forever. But if you notice that most people are more apt to judge and condemn what they feel they're less likely to participate in, it's those sins, Derry, that we think, oh, I, that, that's not a problem for me, but I'm going to attack what I feel that I'm less likely to do. So what we end up doing is we overlook our failures, but we criticize others. And there's no health in that. There's no life in that. Judgmental thinking is, at the core, your sin is worse than mine. And we oftentimes judge others based on their behavior and actions, but we judge ourselves based on our intention. I'm going to judge you based on what I saw, based on what you did, but I'm going to be light on myself and say, well, you, you just don't know the intent of my heart. It's the cancer that destroys church, that destroys community, that destroys fellowship. Back to the woman. She wasn't just weeping and she wasn't just crying. The Greek word for cry and weep here means to sob and to well with no boundaries. Do you have it? She is sobbing her eyes out. Tears are flowing. She is weeping and she is wailing. She doesn't have any borders or boundaries around it. Uncontrollable sobbing as her tears splash on the feet of Jesus. That's the scene. And Jesus' feet were filthy. He has been walking these dusty Palestinian roads, and he was invited to dinner. And protocol of that day was that when a guest comes over, you wash their feet, but no one is offered to wash his feet. But this nameless nobody condemned prostitute you got it? None of the religious elite, none of the somebodies were willing to stoop and do what needed to be done. But this nameless prostitute that was shunned and condemned, 
stands behind him. She doesn't even look him face to face. There's so much shame and guilt and disgrace with her. She's behind him just bawling her eyes out as the tears land on Jesus' feet. And what she's saying is, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to, to be with you. I'm not worthy to look at you. I'm not worthy to hang out with you. She washes his feet with tears and she wipes them clean and dries them with her hair. In, in that culture, a woman's hair was viewed as her glory. Even Corinthians will talk about that. Do you not know that a woman's long hair is for her glory? But the women would pull their hair up in buns or whatever because a woman that would let her hair down in public, it was viewed as shameful. And, and so when this woman walks in with her hair hanging down, it was a sign of a prostitute. Her hair was a tool that she used for years to seduce men. That's what her hair was all about. It was all about seducing and, and inviting men, look at me. But yet she is washing Jesus' feet with her tears, drying them with her hair, and the scripture says she takes this perfume and begins to massage his feet. Proverbs 7 says that adulterous woman, perfumes and oil were used to adorn themselves and to freshen up their bed. This is mind-blowing that she uses what was perverted in her life for years and redeems it as worship on the Lord. I'm studying this and I'm blown away. The tools of her trade that she had used for sin and for pleasure. It's like this is all I got. This is all I've, I don't know anything else. I've used my hair to seduce and the aroma of my perfume. Jesus, this is all I got. But I want to redeem it to worship you instead of pervert myself any longer. And I think we all have to stop and go, what, what have I used in a perverted way, in a sinful way to promote just my flesh and so much corruption that God is saying, why don't you let me have that? Why don't you worship me with that? I can't worship you with that. Yes, I want you to bring what you've got. This is all she's got. I was telling my son Jesse a few weeks ago, I said, you know, it's so cool to see how God has wired you and to see how God is, is, is working through you. I said, uh, you, you can talk to anybody. You've got the gift of gab. You know how to talk. You, you, you know how to interact with people. You get into their story. You've you got a lot of skill set there. I said, Jesse, I was thinking not long ago that God gave me the gift of gab as well. And, and, and I knew how to talk. But Jesse, for years, I was a trash talker. My mouth was filthy. I would tell jokes and stories and get two or three cold beers in me and liquid courage started to soar. And I used my mouth for me. And when I came to faith in Jesus... He's like, why don't you let me use what I've given you? And instead of using it for trash talk, why don't we use it for truth talk? Why don't you let me redeem what I've blessed you with and use it for my glory? 
And that's what she's doing. What do you got? What have you perverted? What have you leveraged for self and sin? And God goes, why don't you let me have that? You've been wasteful with your time. You've been wasteful with your money. You've been wasteful with this. You've jacked some things up. Why don't you let me redeem that? Verse 39 says, when Simon, the Pharisee, saw this, this woman weeping, this woman wiping his feet with her hair and anointing him with his perfume, when he saw this, he said, if this man was the prophet I thought he was, he would have known what kind of woman this is who has fallen all over him. Oh, if he really was a prophet, if he really was sent from God, and see, the Pharisees were not allowed even to speak to such a person as this, must less touch them, must less have interaction with them, because for a Pharisee, if I were to associate or get in proximity with a person like this, I'm going to become unclean. I'm going to become dirty. So Simon thinks this Jesus dude, there's no way he's a legit prophet. Look at the corruption that he's entertaining. And you know what this screams? It screams to me that religion avoids, religion isolates, religion condemns, religion judges, but not Jesus. Look at the people he interacted with. Look at the people that came to him. Look at the people that he loved, that he touched. Religion will avoid, religion will isolate, religion will shun. Verse 40. Jesus said to him, Simon, I, I got something to ask you. I got something to ask you. I know what you're thinking. That's implied here. I know your heart. I know you're religious. I know you love your tradition. I know you are one self-righteous dude. Si Simon, two men were in debt to a banker. One of them owed 500 pieces of silver. The other one owed 50 pieces of silver. And neither of them could pay up. So the banker canceled out both their debts. Which of the two would be more grateful? Which of the two are going to be more thankful? Which of the two are going to be more appreciative? Here's the story. Jesus is the banker, and sitting at the table with him are two debtors. Both are sinners. Both are in debt. Neither deserve forgiveness, and neither one of them can earn forgiveness. The woman saw herself as a great sinner. I know I am jacked up. I am lost. I am hopeless. I'm undeserving. But Simon thought he was a good dude. If he would have walked in here this morning and you would have met him and said, how are you doing? He would have said, I'm fine. I, I, I'm, I'm good. It's like he wasn't good. And the point that Jesus is making in this story is it doesn't matter how much you owe. Who cares if you can't pay it? Oh, your sin is way thick. 
oh, you only got this. Who cares? If I could coach you and encourage you with anything, it would be this. Refuse to rank sin. We live in a culture that loves to rank sin. We, we like to put a price tag on, now that sin right there is brutal, but that, that one's not quite as bad. I'm looking at a room full of people, and my conclusion is this. Every person in this room needs God's forgiveness. Y'all want me to make another kind of conclusion? Every person in this room has sinned and missed the mark and has royally jacked it up somewhere along the way. Every person in this room equally needs to be set free with a freedom that only Christ can bring and there's nothing you can do to work for it, earn it, or merit it. Let me make one more conclusion there. Every person who has tasted and seen that the Lord is good and has experienced his forgiveness should be tremendously grateful. Everybody, it don't matter what you got saved from. It matters what you got saved to. And we might have all come out of some different from stuff. But we all came to the same to Jesus. I like what James chapter 2 verse 10 says. The person who keeps all of the laws, except one, is as guilty as the person who's broken all the laws. Simon doesn't realize it, but he's a sinner just like the woman. He's got a debt he can't pay just like she does. I was pondering this, and I was like, you know what's interesting? It's not about how much we've sinned. It's about how much we recognize our sin. It's about realizing you can't do anything to eliminate the debt of your sin. It's coming to the realization that you need Jesus to forgive you of your debt. And it's humbling yourself to say, I receive it. You can't rank sin. You can't categorize it. And Jimmy, the more we recognize our sin, the more we're going to love Jesus because the more we're going to realize how much we've been forgiven of. How much have you been forgiven of? Past, present, and future? Who's the greater sinner? Paul said, I am the greatest of all sinners, man. I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. Paul, you, you, you were? When you realize what Christ has forgiven you of, I'm the chief of sinners. Cash money, when he redeemed me, chief of sinners. Jesus looks and says, so tell me, Simon, if he gave one 500 pieces of silver, 150, uh, which of them is going to love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. 
Jesus said, that's right. This piece right here broke me down as I was studying it this week. Then turning to the woman, but speaking to Simon. Don't miss this. Let's say I'm addressing Dean, my friend. But instead of looking at Dean, that I'm addressing, I'll look at the woman, Mama Kay. You see this woman? Talking to him, looking at you. What does his eyes say when he looks at the woman? Does it say you're a loser? You're terrible? You're no good? I believe his eyes say compassion and grace and tenderness and love and forgiveness. And you have worth and your story matters. Oh, I love you. And looking at the woman, she saw a face that she hadn't seen when she looked at Jesus. And looking at the woman, but speaking to Simon, he said, uh, Simon, when I came to your house, you didn't provide any water to wash my feet. Looking at the woman, he's speaking to Simon. She rained down tears. She rained down tears on my feet. She dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting. But from the time I got here, man, she has not quit kissing my feet. You, you didn't provide anything to freshen me up. She has soothed my feet with perfume. That's impressive, ain't it? Looking at the woman, that's impressive right there, is it not? That, that right there is impressive. Not just what she did, but who she is. Look at her. She's impressive. Yeah, she was forgiven many sins. Man, she's grateful and thankful. Still talking to Simon. You, you, you know when a person sees what they've done in their debt as being minimal, they somehow praise me with a minimal voice. <laughs> talking to Simon. He goes, Simon, you don't get it, but she does. I'm studying this going, she gets it. You don't get it. You got religion. You got notoriety. You got the applause of men, and you don't get it. We all have a debt that we cannot pay, Mr. Larry. What you going to do with your debt? Whether it's 50, whether it's 500, Jesus' point is this. It doesn't matter how much you've been forgiven. You can't repay it anyway. It doesn't matter how much you owe. If you're broke as a joke, you can't claim bankruptcy. You can't pay it anyway. Simon looked down on the woman. 
And Jesus points out to Simon, you're as jacked up as anybody on the planet yourself. You neglected me. You insulted me. You didn't show, show me any treatment when I walked in. Is a woman a sinner? Absolutely. She's jacked up. She knows it. Her sin was obvious to everyone. But your sin is hidden. Your sin is more pride and arrogant and self-righteousness. And that hidden sin is almost more deadly than the public sin. That stuff that you've got going on in your heart, man looks at the outward appearance, I'm looking at the heart. That stuff you've got is deadly. So what's the difference between Simon and the woman? Two things I wrote down. One, their awareness of sin. Their awareness of sin. And their gratitude for forgiveness. Wouldn't that be good? Steve, we hang out with people and go, tell me about that dude. He is totally aware of his sin. He knows he deserves death, hell, the grave. I've not hung out with anybody more thankful, Jack, and grateful than he is. Don't you like hanging out with people that are thankful and grateful? And it usually is birthed in the believer's heart from being thankful and grateful for forgiveness and deliverance and being set free going, One of the things I wrote down is when we become aware of how huge our sin debt is and we receive the complete forgiveness that only Jesus offers, we will respond to the Lord like this woman with incredible affection and adoration. When we receive that complete forgiveness that he gives, we will respond weeping tears Praising him with no boundaries or borders. Who cares what anybody else thinks? Verse 47, Jesus says, I tell you, her sins, man, they were many. She had a pretty good portfolio of sin. But they've been forgiven. That debt's been canceled out. She's shown me a lot of love. But a person who don't think they've been forgiven that much is not going to show much. How much have you been forgiven of? How much? It's like when God looks at you and he goes, I forgive you. I've canceled out your dad. Oh God, that frees me up. How much do you love him? In return, I love you. So many people try to make themselves feel better by criticizing others and comparing themselves to others. One thing, brother, I praise God, man, at least I'm not a prostitute or a drug addict, not as bad as they are. Really? Oh, yeah. You ain't got to worry about me getting high, man. I ain't ever done pills. I ain't, I've never snorted no Coke. No, man. I, you, you, I ain't smoked no weed. 
No, 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 no. I'm a gluttoner. Yes, I like to eat, dude. And I got this Schlitz tumor hanging over my belt, man. I drink like a guppy at times, but I'm not a drug. I'm not that bad. Oh, how's that working for you? That's what we used to call it back in the day, a Schlitz tumor. Schlitz was a big beer. Y'all younger generations, y'all would use Coors Light because of the issues going on culturally. Right, I understand all this. Malt liquor, back in the day, Mama K, come on. <laughs> the bull, yeah, I saw her, I saw her. Y'all leave her alone. I was talking to her. She's set free. She's forgiven. Don't be bringing up that stuff of her past. But don't you see that where people condemn? Oh, no, man. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not as jacked up as that dude is. I robbed God. You're right. I, I don't tithe to the local storehouse. God's working on my heart in that area, but I'm not that bad. I got you. I, I, I got you. I, I, I got you. People will slander and gossip and ridicule and put down. But, I, but I'm not that bad over there. And we attack what we feel that we're less likely to do. And God goes, do you, do you want to walk in freedom? Man, don't think you're better than anybody else. If your love, check this out. If your love for God today has grown stale and stagnant. I'm talking to the believer. If your love for God today has grown stale and stagnant, it might be that you have forgotten that your debt has really been forgiven. You go back to when you first met Jesus, when you first encountered the Lord, when you knew that he loved you. You remember when you got up off your knees? I remember. October of 85, Robin, I wept like a baby. I mean, tears and snot. And I'm like, I repent. I'm so jacked up and I'm so messed up and I'm screwing up my life and I'm distant from you and I'm most I'm going to bust hell wide open. Jesus, I got to know you. And I wept and I wept and I wept. God, I'm so jacked up. I need you. I need you. I need you. I can promise you, I was knelt down at this altar at this little church down in Noonan. I was bawling my eyes out. And I did not care what anybody else thought. Because I had met Jesus. And when I got up to leave that day, to walk out, to get in my car, to go home, I didn't care what anybody else thought. I met Jesus. If they met him, they'd be as thankful as I was. I think sometimes we grow stale and stagnant because we... we we lose our first love. We, we leave our first love. We, we walk away from our first love. And if you have, you've got to repent. You've got to remember and you've got to rejoice. Because if you ever start to wallow in his forgiveness of you, Tara, and what he sets you free from, 
you ain't got the energy to judge somebody else, to condemn somebody else. You go, man, he can set people free. I look around and I go, he can set people free. And that's what he said, closing, verses 48 through 50. Jesus looked and said to her, he said, I forgive your sins. I forgive you. The other folks were running their mouth like, what, what's up with that? Who does he think he is? Jesus ignored him, and then he makes this thing. Your faith, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I mean, this woman, two hours ago, she was a sinner, lost, contaminated. And when she left the party that night, she was a saint. Bam! Look at her. Now the religious still labeled her and judged her and condemned her. But I bet Master Jesus said, mm, look at old Saint Rebecca leaving here tonight. I don't know what her name was. That sounds to be pretty attractive. Or Saint Grace. Look at her leaving. She got it because of faith. Not because she shed tears, not because she had an emotional experience, because of her faith. She believed him. She was like, man, I have found rest for my soul. I've been set free. She probably pulled her hair up and said, mm, don't need that anymore. Don't need that anymore. I don't know what led her there to in the first place. How was she abused? How, who, who messed her up? I mean, who dogged her when she was little? Who used her as a piece of meat? I don't know the woman's story. I know she didn't want to be stuck in that life. And if you're living in sin today, you don't want to be stuck in there any longer. He's like, hey, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. It's like, have I found peace and grace and salvation and forgiveness? Do I really have faith and believe that Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah? I want to invite you when we move into this time of prayer, confess your sins, be broken before the Lord. If you need to wail, if you need to weep, who cares? Get right. If you got to let it go, let it go. Meet the Lord. That's why I came here today. I came here to meet with the Lord. And just wanted to encourage Jonah, take the trip with me. Let's meet with the Lord today.